Center and ERG Executive Director Stephen Bent. We'll try to get some questions in from the audience at the end as well. For some background, for those of you who don't know, John Alexander entered the U.S. Army as a private in 1956. He rose to the ranks to Sergeant First Class, attended an officer candidate school, and was an infantry colonel when he retired in 1988. During his varied career, he held key positions in special operations, intelligence, and research and development. From 1966 to 1969, he commanded Special Forces A teams in Vietnam and Thailand. His last military assignment was as Director of Advanced System Concepts at the U.S. Army Laboratory Command. After retiring from the Army, Dr. Alexander joined Los Alamos National Laboratory, where he was instrumental in developing the concept of non-lethal defense. He conducted non-lethal warfare briefings at the highest levels of government, including the White House staff, National Security Council, members of Congress, Director of Central Intelligence, and senior defense officials. He also met with heads of industry and presented at academic institutions, including Columbia, Harvard, and MIT. In 2004, he addressed the German Bundestag, and in 2005, presented to international delegates to the Chemical Warfare Convention at The Hague. And academically, he holds an MA at Pepperdine University, PhD, Walden University, and did uh, additional studies at UCLA, MIT, and the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. This is but a partial representation of what is clearly a long and accomplished career in government service, but as most of you know, John Alexander has publicly engaged the UFO ET issue. He has attended and spoken at a number of conferences. He was part of an informal network, the aviary, interacting with leading UFO researchers and activists decades ago. He was a board member of Robert Bigelow's National Institute for Discovery Sciences, NIS, and he has, as you might say, along with his wife, Victoria, been a regular on the circuit. Not surprisingly, he is very controversial with an almost mythological web presence. Everyone who knows of John has a theory about John Alexander, but no one really thinks they know what's what when it comes to the Colonel. And just to think, he makes time to be with us here at the X Conference. On the other hand, Stephen Bassett took a very different path in life. He did not serve in the military, <laughs> say for one semester of ROTC at Georgia Tech, when it was, uh, which was sufficient for him to persuade him to, uh, uh, that perhaps that was not his line of work that he was cut out for. <laughs> he was never recruited by the CIA. As a hardcore Sagittarian, he's almost always inclined to say what's on his mind. You may have noticed that. A trait which could be somewhat detrimental in practicing the deceptive arts. Uh, actually, it's a trait that can cause all kinds of problems, but never mind that. And uh, while he did get some hints early in life as to who he might be and what kind of work he might be best suited for, he says he didn't get that message until much later. Much, much later. And uh, he says that message was activism. Well, populist advocacy has a long tradition in America. It's failed often and succeeded greatly. 
the American people just elected an activist community organizer as the president. And we'll see how that turns out. Time will tell. Whatever the issue, it always comes down to the people versus the government, a tug of war that's been going on since the first human stood up and said, I'm in charge here. John Alexander is a quintessential insider. Steve Bassett is an outsider. They see the same issues from different directions at times 180 degrees apart, but the apprise of Stephen, the son of a naval officer, does not view the government as the enemy and has great respect for the highly trained and educated members of the military and intelligence community who have defended America for two and a third centuries. Like all tug of wars, at some point, everyone has to put down the rope and go into barbecue and coleslaw. This nation and all the issues it faces are the rightful provenance of all, military and civilian, insider and outsider, rich and poor, powerful and weak. And its future will rest on the sum of all its people and institutions. And with that in mind, John and Steve are going to engage each other here on the UFO ET issue. Everything is on the table. No subject is off limits. Two other points should be noted. First, this is not a debate between two removed and detached academics arguing the two sides of an issue without bias. Both of these men are part of the issue with strong views. So their involvement in past engagement of the UFO ET subject matter is also on the table for discussion. Secondly, John well knows the sympathies in this room are not exactly in his corner, but nevertheless suggested this debate to Steve. Steve, for his part, fully expects the audience to show appreciation for points well made by either speaker and keep an open mind so new ideas and new perspectives may find their way inside. So now, please welcome Dr. John Alexander and Stephen Bassett to the next conference. Sub issues 
is, is there a non-human intelligence, not born and bred on this planet, from obviously elsewhere, perhaps another planet, almost certainly another planet, or maybe another dimension, maybe from the future, all three of those situations are the same for me. But extraordinary non-human intelligence, as we understand it now, engaging this planet or not. That is the issue, I believe, at hand. Is that a fair framing in your mind of the fundamental question? Uh, can I have the uh, first slide? Oh, no. It's going to be the next slide. <laughs> no, uh, because uh, actually it's the second one. Okay. John bought a PowerPoint. I did not. I, I, I came into this debate PowerPointless. I had to kind of guess where he was going, so this is to jump around, but I have a few things. But um, if we get to it, what, what I thought would be useful is to, we're going to have the discussion start with the things we agree on. Absolutely. And, um, are you, are you get, Jim's going to get that up for you. Okay. Uh, because there are obviously some fundamental ones that we don't. Uh, the first uh, point will be that uh, UFOs are real. I mean, there, there are real phenomena. And I use phenomena as opposed to phenomenon, like as it is a singular thing. I think it's much more complex than that. Um, we also, I think, agree it's an important issue. It, it's something that uh, deserves to be looked at. Um, we also would agree that I think, uh, have the next slide, the second one. The, um, we would agree that in general, and particularly as it refers to Roswell, the government has sort of self-inflicted wounds. Uh, the reports that have been put out have been less than honest and, and certainly did not address the issue. Uh, the other was that we would agree to uh, do this on a uh, factual as opposed to an emotional basis, and we can agree to disagree. However, let me go back to my initial statement. Yes, points that we can agree on, perfectly appropriate, and we do on those things. But the issue, in other words, what is, what is the issue under which we're, the reason why we're here, and I'll repeat the question. Is it fair to say that the reason why we're doing this school, otherwise we wouldn't be in my opinion, the question whether or not there's an extraterrestrial presence engaging us or not, is that, is that a fair statement? We have slide five. For <laughs> <laughs> um, those of you who heard uh, Graham yesterday, uh, my take is much closer to his. Uh, than the ETH, uh, the extraterrestrial hypothesis will, in my view, does not answer the question. It does address a few, uh, a subset of the data, but certainly does not address all of the data. Uh, the uh, pictures that are on this slide, for instance, one of them is a hard UFO that's taken over Argentina pretty well, so that's dealing with the craft. Uh, the lower corner, uh, one of the things you see there is the balls of light. And these are part of UFO phenomena that are not hard craft, uh, and they, but they seem to appear and get caught on sensor systems. I also threw in Cosmos, and quite frankly, uh, Carl Sagan and I would not agree on 
very many points. Uh, if, interestingly, one of the best books on the topic, uh, UFOs and Scientific Debate, he edited. And I was convinced after the SSE held a meeting at Cornell, that he doesn't even read his own stuff. <laughs> uh, because the book, when I say it's pretty good, it was literally a debate between proponents uh, who argued facts, here's what we know about things, and the opponents who argued uh, emotion. Basically, it can't be, therefore, uh, it isn't. But one of the things I agree on, if you remember in Cosmos, uh, the way the information transference occurred was just that, it was information. Rather than coming here, they designed, you know, provided the information to develop a system that could be built here. And so, I mean, when you get into it, uh, even having a crash or looking for an obtainium does not prove BT. But again, I, I, let me let me comment. What you, what I think you just said is an important point that there are there seems to be a lot of phenomena out there, uh, and, and and people are certainly paying attention, and a lot of information is coming in, and it's a perfectly valid statement to make that just quote the extraterrestrial hypothesis is not enough to account for all of this phenomenon. So there very well could be some things which are being lumped into the EP UFO world that are in fact something else entirely, which is going to complicate things without question. And so one has to be careful, because if they glom on to some phenomenon here that's really not related and try to bring it in, it's going to create confusion, and it's going to make it more difficult to get to the essence. My point is that let's assume there are multiple Let's assume that there's something that creates light bulbs that occasionally turn up, maybe even on the Skinwalker Ranch. I gotta say, I don't care about those. I don't care about witches and ghosts and uh, shadow people or any of that stuff. If it's true, wonderful. So of the range of phenomena, the one that I care about is some of this evidence Confirm, uh, indicate an extraterrestrial or presence or not, which is to say that of the various things out there, the one that has to meet preeminent importance is, is some of that phenomena confirming of an extraterrestrial presence. So again, my statement is from the standpoint of why we would want to go through this, why we want to spend all the time to have these lectures and books, I believe the reason the people are here is because they're very much concerned and interested in whether or not there's an ET presence. So again, my, I, I, want, I, I would like the debate to be not about what's going on in all realms, but rather, is the ET debate a valid one? Is the, is the, should the issue fundamentally be in terms of what's most important? Is there an ET presence or not? I would argue what you're doing is exactly what the skeptics do, or the debunkers. What they do is they glom onto some facts that seem to fit their hypothesis. Uh, you may have read in the last few weeks, uh, last couple of weeks, LA Times. There's an article about uh, Area 51, pilots saying, we in fact flew that, and if you read the newspaper accounts, says, this explains UFOs. Uh, the reality is it explains a few UFO sightings. But what the skeptics always do is they grab onto a small piece, of, a few bits of the evidence, and they say, if this, Therefore, we have explained everything, when in fact they haven't. I argue, and I think what you heard with Graham yesterday, the issues of consciousness are far more important, and it is terribly complex. And the kinds of things you're saying, I just had a model 
uh, was published somewhere years and years ago uh, based on phenomenology. And it said one of the things, you, you, first of all, you have events, and then you accrue, and then pretty soon you start narrowing this field. You do a historical search, and when you start getting into history, you find out this stuff has been around much, much longer than anybody anticipated. It just really wasn't uh, recorded. The problem is, and when you get into you know, seeing a craft and some of those things, that you see a strong correlation between the expectations of uh, human consciousness and what is observed. Let me give you a specific example. Some of the things that were seen back in the uh, 1800s in the Rourke craft, um, but they weren't, you know, craft like they are now that, that uh, zip around. There were airships, and they talk about people coming in and dropping anchors out of them and talking to them. Beyond their uh, technological capability of the time, but nonetheless within the thought range. Uh, Jacques Vallée will, will come up uh, a few times. I, I want to mention, uh, advocate one of his books, if you don't know, uh, Forbidden Science II uh, has just been released, which takes on the next decade. Uh, from the 1970s of the research that uh, he was doing. He had a classic case, early 1900s. Uh, he was in the state of Washington. Individual is driving around the corner, and there's this shiny object hovering right there. And the, the reporter said, I could see every ribbon uh, in there. Now, we know at that time, ribbon technology and shiny craft would have been very advanced. We also know now it doesn't make any sense at all. You would never go uh, that route. So the idea was the technology was not beyond what they could think about, but certainly it was not a thousand years in advance because in a few decades we had surpassed that. What you see here is a classic example of a different perspective. I'm asking what amounts to a political question. And John is primarily answering what amounts to an evidentiary technological question. And okay, except that, and, and, and believe me, I could easily dialogue him about rivets and perception and so forth and, and, and the way the phenomenon can be conducted. But I really am going to get this up on the same page politically as well because that's important. Part of it is, after all, the exopolitical, exopolitics expo, the ex-con. So let me rephrase that. Simple question. I'm asking two questions. But exopolitics assumes the ET hypothesis. Exopolitics, exopolitics does assume the ET hypothesis. Okay, all right. Now, but just because it assumes it doesn't mean that you cannot discuss it from a political perspective because one could, could practice exopolitics just like one in, in, in political science might study a number of political uh, fields, political uh, theories that they don't believe in, but they study them because they're part of it. So, so again, simple question, simple question. Would, do you, would, you, would you feel that the presence of non-human intelligence engaging us is a significant matter, an important issue? Yes. Okay. Would you also agree that if in fact no non-human intelligence is engaging us, but if millions of people think that it is happening, and many thousands are studying it, engaging it, and making it a very significant part of their life, when in fact there's nothing there, would be a pretty significant matter as well. 
I'm not sure what the difference is. In other words, there, there's some, there is in fact nothing happening here. No, 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 no non-human intelligence is engaging this planet. But millions of people think it is. In fact, half of the American people do. So they are very profoundly mistaken. And of course, many thousands of them are investing huge portions of their lives trying to quote address this thing, which is in fact not happening. So this is a huge disconnect. Wouldn't that also be important as well? Well, yes, but when you say non-human intelligence, actually animals have a degree of no, intelligence. You know what I mean. A non-human intelligence from somewhere else, not this planet, is well, no, not, I, not I, here at all, but millions think it is. No, I, I, I would not necessarily agree, because that, again, assumes ETH. Now, I will argue, let me, let me take a step forward. I would argue when you do the math of the probability of life on other planets, it's almost overwhelming. Again, you get back to Sagan, he goes out there, there's billions and billions, and you go, and then turns around and says, not one shred of evidence. Well, I would argue there are lots of shreds of evidence. Sure. But, again, that the problem gets into where are you going to cut the pie? You know, what is in, what is out? All right, let me cut the you pie. Want to tell you. I'll cut the pie. I, don't, I can cut pie. I can't eat it, though, because <laughs> I don't want to act it. But the point is, I can cut the pie. Look. 90% of the people in, this, in, in the United States, when polled, believe that there's life somewhere in the universe. Okay? And that's pretty okay. Going through your life, having a good time. Do you think there's life out there in the universe? 20, 50 billion light years away? Yeah, I really think so. Okay, no big deal. That's not going to shake anybody up. I don't think we're going to spend the rest of our life devoted to that, unless you're a high-level physicist. But if you think that entities are coming into your bedroom at night and pulling them out the window of your bedroom without opening the window and taking you into a craft where they're putting probes in your body, that's a little more personal. That's a little more intense. Now, if that, in fact, is not happening, if there is no, quote, presence coming in and doing things like that, but people think they are, I think that's a big issue. Do you agree with that? Well, but let's understand, this has been going on long before there were UFOs. Whether it's been going on for one day or a thousand days. This is a tiny piece of the phenomena, and this is where I argue that the ETH is, you know, if you want to eliminate all of the other possibilities, you know, that's a wrong approach. I'm not trying to... Beings have been seen. It's long before UFOs are If you go into human mythology, you know, for thousands of years, um, one of the things I liked about Grant, I mean, you know, I, I worked in phenomenology and last year, well, I, I worked with shamans uh, around the world, spent time last summer uh, at a shaman's conference uh, in Iquitos, Peru, and I've, I've interviewed a lot of them. We, in the Western world, talk about the spirit world and the real world as if these are something separate. When you deal with the shamans, uh, they move seamlessly between these. Now, you're trying to frame this argument in the here and they, and that it's totally separate, uh, when in fact the idea of beings, of people going interdimensionally, uh, with or without bodies, these sorts of things have been around since there's been humans. But my question is not about what is the explanation for this. Let me rephrase it again. Now, and the reason I'm pushing this, and I, and I, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm being offensive. But in fact, what's going on right now here cuts to the absolute essence of this. In other words, what is the political issue here? So I'm going to make it even simpler. Now, John, I know I'm going to get an easy answer from you. We, I think we fully agree. So I'm going to narrow this even closer. I'm not saying that this is the only explanation, and I'm not saying that there aren't multiple phenomena, but I'm, I'm doing something very simple. 
I think we agree that if beings that come from another planet in another star system have come to the planet Earth, that's a big deal. Okay, now. To whom? I. <laughs> in general. That's not a like question. In general, to society, right? That from the standpoint of society's interests, from the standpoint of governance, uh, I, I, I don't want to parse here, but I, do we not agree that if beings from another planetary system are in fact visiting our airspace now, that would be a pretty substantial issue? Yes or no? To whom? To, 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 no, I'm sure the American because people, we talked to, to uh, I'm sure the to, people to, in this room to, see to, that as very serious. To the American public, let me do this, John. How many people here think that beings from another planet coming to our planet, being in our space now, is a big deal? How many? Oh yeah. That would be everybody. Okay. So now let's get to the second half of the question. The second half of the question is very important. Is it not also significant? that if millions and millions of people seriously believe that entities from another planetary system are here, when in fact that's not happening at all, something else is going on and misunderstand, that's a pretty serious issue too that probably should be rectified. Is that a fair statement? But what we know is that about 70% of the population believe that UFOs are real. I know. And most, my point is most of them believe that you know they come from another solar system. Exactly. But yeah. it ain't important. You mean it's not As a matter of fact, it's not important if, if, it's, if it's totally wrong? No, yeah, if they're really just completely misplaced? No, but uh, what's important is I gotta pay the rent right now, gotta have food on the table, gotta have, you know, the, the daily things. Overwhelms most people. Now right. let me you asked a political question, so let me address that. I brought that up before. Politically, this is a strong negative. A strong negative. If you come out and ask Dennis Kucinich, for instance, who you know has popped up, anybody who pops up on, on the political spectrum and talks about phenomenology of any kind is the victim of ad hominem attacks. You know, if you believe that, you must be crazy. Therefore, we can't trust you with our vote. I mean, that's that's the correlation. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're getting there. We're almost there, folks. My framing that I started with had two panes. You know, like the window with two panes, one on the top, one on the bottom. We've got one pane down, it's covered. We're going to get this second pane pin. Let's see if I can do it this time. Let's go back to the 1930s. Parker, well, it goes back long before then, but let's focus on the 1930s, 1930, 1937. Essentially, in Europe, millions and millions and millions of Europeans, particularly Germans, believed that Jews and a number of other types of people were inferior. They were less than human. They were repugnant, and they should be shunned. A great deal of that, the great deal of the reason for them believing that was that their government told them that. In other words, the government presented a reality to them, a reality to them that that was in fact the way things were, and they believed it. I would say that the fact that millions of Europeans believed something was true, what I just referred to, when it was not, given to what it led to, is a significant issue. And so my point again is, if millions of people believe that non-human uh, non intelligence from another planet is engaging this planet, 
And in fact, that's not true. I mean, they got that information from whatever sources, but it's totally wrong. And so whatever time they invest in that issue is a waste of time. That that disconnect in reality is significant. Is, is, that's a simple question. It, is, it, is, it, is it a bad thing if millions of people have a complete misperception of reality at that level? I'm not sure which side you're taking in this argument. Are you talking about the ones who the believers or the, the ones who don't? No, I'm saying that if millions of people believe something is true when it's not, and even invest a great deal of their time in addressing this issue, which is not true, when they think it is, that that kind of disconnect is very significant and is not healthy and it's a big issue. That's simple. Not getting it? Is my question, if, am I really not getting it across? Do you all get what I'm trying to say? Okay. And in other words, I'm getting the political question. A government can tell you something is there when it's not, and it can tell you something isn't there when it is. Let me rephrase the question, John. Not too long ago, the United States government, using the vast resources that it has, in terms of media and information, informed the American people that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And in short order, more than a majority of American people believe that to be true. So essentially, they believe something was true that wasn't. And because of that disconnect to reality, we went to war in Iraq. Now, I don't want to argue the pluses or minuses of that, but we know the costs in lives and treasure. And one would argue, well, if in fact the actual reality and what Americans believe were concordant, that a better decision would have been made. Now, in the case of the ET, the government in that case said something was, was there when it wasn't. In the case of ET, the government is saying something isn't here when perhaps it is. In both cases, you have a disconnect. Now, John and I have agreed that if ETs are in fact here, it's a big deal. What I can't seem to get him to address is if in fact millions of people think they're here but they're not, that's also a big deal. You, you, maybe you sure. think it's not. Okay. It is? And <laughs> we're here! We're going to close that window. I'm trying to move right on to the relevance. So go ahead and I'll see how that ties to the... Uh, that's okay. You don't see the relevance. And we have different rules of building this case. Okay. So now we have to do the gotcha later. No <laughs> gotcha here, no gotcha. All right. Now, with that out of the way, so we have a, we have a significant matter here. Are ETs here? Are they not here? And now let's get to that. Is, is, as best as I can, my best perception of your fundamental message, and you have given this message a number of times. In fact, it's in this slide presentation here, and you, you're pretty consistent on your own message. Because I've, I've seen you present about three times, and it's pretty much the same presentation every time. At the core of what you're saying is that you were operating through many facets of uh, of governance in terms of military service, in terms of uh, service at the Pentagon. You had high levels of classification, very high levels of classification, access to a lot of people. And there are, there are these individuals saying that the government has done this, and the government knows about that, and there's an ET presence, and the government is involved in that, and is even managing the issue, and MJ control, or whatever. In other words, is there is a reality within government connected to the UFO thing, significant reality. 
And I believe what you have said on several occasions is that if that were the case, given the levels of access you have and the people you know, you would know that. You would have been told that. And you haven't been, therefore you feel it's simply not the case. It's, it's not quite that simple. Okay. Uh, because the answer to stuff doesn't just come to you. The, the difference between me and I think most everybody else is I'm the only one who went and talked to the director or deputy director of all the letter agencies you know and some you don't. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I went to the they. And when this is, when you get into this, you have classic conspiracy theory. Uh, let me digress a bit and tell you one of the incidents in Jacques' book. Uh, again, it's the 1970s. He is dealing with a number of the intelligence agencies. And he goes in, and in the book he says, we're going to have briefings. His belief was that he was going to learn the information when he talked to CIA, NSA, DIA, etc. Every time he got there, he said he found out that he knew more than they did. But the questions that were asked were not about the phenomena. The questions were all, what are the other agencies doing? And, and this is the one of the things you find. I found this at very high levels. Some of the basic assumptions that you hear uh, within this room about, that, you know, somebody, this was my main message when I said there's good news, bad news, and you know, you know, the good news is the government's telling the truth. The bad news is the government's telling the truth. The reality is they don't care. Mm -hmm. and, and that was generally, you know, what you found out. And the assumption even of those, remember, this is a very large organization. Uh, we know that 7% of the population, about adults, have seen the UFO. So within this organization, you find people have. I, I gave an example, and this is one that's from Edgar's here. But I talked to uh, another person who held the position when he talks about uh, Admiral Wilson. In that case, she said, A, we don't do that. B, let me tell you about the ones I saw. <laughs> so you had a three-star who had personal experience, who had no problem with reality, and yet say, there's nothing in the system because the system does not accommodate this. Okay, one of the things that happened, because we heard FOIA, one of the bad uh, fallouts from FOIA, and I have, this has been validated from multiple sources, uh, when the Freedom of Information went into effect, they had no concept that 50% of the inquiries would be on UFOs. I mean, it, it was more about what's going on in your personal life, what records have been held on it. They were overwhelmed. Yeah, it got overwhelming, and when these came in, what they finally did is they got tired of going through the files and releasing them and looking. So finally what they did is they put in filter systems. So if anybody from the field sent in a report that said UFOs, the system wouldn't even accept it. I argue that's wrong because that gives you scotomas. It is wrong. But the point is that the response to the FOIA request was such that they said, we can't put up with this. But the administrative burden was too high. It just, now it just rejects it, so it doesn't even go into the system. I'll return to that. Uh, that's because you brought up a very interesting point. If I'm going to return to that, but let me let me go back where we were on folks. Uh, you worked at the Pentagon for uh, you were I think actually assigned to the Pentagon for a number of years. About how long? Right. About how how many years roughly? Do you recall? I, I was actually in the building uh, in the early '80s. In the '80s, early '80s, number of years. Okay. 
you had multiple assignments around the world, yep. and you held, what was the highest clearance that you held? Are you able to say? We won't go into that. Okay, but, uh, but you held multiple assignments. anything you can imagine. Okay. And you have dealt both directly within your work uh, and in your, uh, within government, people you're working with, your college, as well as people that you're interacting with as part of outside of government, as part of work, your work. And then, of course, in, since you've left, you've gone to some very high-level events. So you've had enormous contact with substantial numbers of people of considerable rank and station. Is that fair, Gary? That's fair. In all of that time, going back in your career, has anyone of significant rank and station ever told you that John this EET thing you're hearing about, this extraterrestrial issue, beings coming here and crap, it's true. I'm not sure what you're saying. If you're saying, there's two different things. One is, we, there are sensor systems that pick up these things. Basically every sensor system we have. And the point is, not significant. Now if, you say, if, if the question is, it gets into like remote, remote viewing, if you're, is there a program? That's where it falls apart. No, That's not, not a program. Don't. No, no, not saying they say, no. John, no, look, no, what, the extraterrestrial issue about beings coming here, crash vehicles, bodies, it is no, true. Where you're at is personal belief systems. I'm just saying, have they, has anyone ever said that to you? Have they ever told you that? They said that I believe, yeah. So I just gave you an example of so a three-star who said, I've seen them. No, no, he said, I've seen something, right? Yeah. I've seen some. Uh, he was sure at the time, he said, I'm sure that this was not something, not a capability that we had. But he's speaking to a specific event. I'm actually saying something stronger. I'm, I'm not a rear admiral, okay, in, in, in U.S. Navy intelligence, and you and I are having dinner. It's about something else, right? Whatever. We've had a couple of glasses of wine. And over that wine, I look at you and say, John, you know, you know, the E.T. thing, the extraterrestrial with the bodies and the craft, that really happened. That's true. Bottom line is no. No, okay. But my, my experience is very much like uh, what uh, uh, Edgar said this morning, talking about uh, the Apollo. Uh, yeah. I think that that's really key, something we should come to. Uh, my experience with Nick Pope, uh, he and I have talked about this online, offline, in the UK, and here. Uh, our experience is very, very similar. Yes, very good. Now, let me follow that line up a little bit further. If during your career, some pretty high-level people, people with impeccable credentials that you respected, had in fact said to you, uh, John Roswell was real, that was a real craft, we got some bodies, obviously I can't go further, this is off the record, and this had happened a couple of times, would you relate that to us? Well, if, if oh, without I, naming their names. The answer is A, didn't happen. B, the set of circumstances, I think, would have been very different because I would not be in a position where I come forward and say, you know, here's what our uh, experience is. Otherwise, you would just uh, never hear about it. But I have talked to all of those aides. And as I said, I talked to these senior officials, many of whom assume the reality, and some have seen sensory data, uh, but they always assume they are taking care of it. It's always somebody else. And, to, and remember, uh, I had a slide, um, I may even uh, have it in here, um, although I'll try to find it right now, but when we put this working group together, my basic assumption and the assumption of the group was 
uh, Raiders of what we call the Raiders of the Lost Ark scenario. That was crash was real. We had it. We looked at it. Figured what the hell can't figure this out. Put it away and we'll look at it in 50 years. That was the assumption, and that's why I was surprised that, uh, and that is the assumption I think even today in certain agencies, uh, until we found out that we had run out of days. Interesting. I'm not referring to a circumstance where someone says to you, John, I assume that there was a crash at Roswell or there have been ET bodies. I'm, I'm saying, I'm a rear admiral and I say, John, look, just off the record, the ET thing, this idea of craft, this idea of body, is a mess. It's true. Can't give you the details. Never it's happened. Never happened. Never my my follow-up question is this. If that did happen, if a couple of people pretty high up, off the record, and I know this happens. You, you know, I've got a security clearance, you've got a security clearance, I'm going to tell you something off the record. I'm not worried about that going anywhere. If that had happened, right, assuming there wasn't some specific non-disclosure or classified reason, You'd relate that to us, wouldn't you? And say, well, you know, I believe this, I believe that, but I have had a couple of people in government tell me that, that it's real, that yeah. you've told us. I, I have had, I call it the 98%. Uh, I have, there's a number of people, one of whom spoke this morning, whom I consider personal friends, right. who are, you know, have been in key positions, uh, and we discuss it, and we agree to disagree. The difference is that almost all, and, and even with Edgar Spakey, but I thought he spoke eloquently to the Apollo program. He said absolutely nothing in the Apollo program. Now to me, that's actually one of the key issues. It is inconceivable to me, and I played this with him before he came in, he talked about why Apollo was to go into space. No, no, it was much more than that. The Apollo program was a strategic move in order to establish United States technical dominance in the world. Going to the moon was a demonstration of that, but it was far beyond just going to the moon. They had contingency plans for everything. Everything conceivable had it. And I, I argue that had uh, they had any inkling that they might bump into ET, there would have been a contingency plan that says, oh, by the way, if you're out there and you bump into him, invite him to the White House, or you know, and he will tell you, never even had a briefing. Well, that piece is uh, kind of in the inconceivable to me. All right, this is good. Now I think we're somewhere we can we can get to the nut here. You've made it clear that in your career, which has been high level, with significant classification and access. People of high station have not, they may have had views and theories and, and they may have some interest, but no one has said this is in fact perfectly okay. And given that, well, given by the that, way, that, you know, I ran a couple last year of the key, because we said uh, Edward Teller was a friend of mine. I'm assuming folks know him, father of the hydrogen bomb, etc. And our hypothesis was if real, if, if Roswell's real. Yeah. And five people are in the loop. Edward would have been one of them. Perfectly reasonable. Perfectly reasonable thought. Had but him to the house for dinner specifically to talk about this. He's interested. Uh, we got the uh, Fermi uh, issue uh, laid out for us and all of that. 
also said, said he's looking in the wrong place, et cetera, et cetera. But said, and we let him describe what he thought would have happened, which he described, and the scenario was very similar to ours, and not there. By the way, he was most interested in cash landing from a radiation standpoint. Let's stipulating that the United States government and all its military services and all its intelligence services and all of its operations, particularly covert and black budget, are vast and extend across the entire continent. Given that it involves several million personnel, I think it's fair to say it's deep, complex, wide, with many, many loops. Right? Stipulating that, I'll get to the point. I was called into a I, a dinner party was arranged for me in Bethesda a few years back by some scientists that work at the labs. There's a lot of them that live in Bethesda. They make good money. Some of them are husband and wife teams, so they're pulling down together three, four hundred thousand dollars. Not surprisingly, they're very interested in UFOs, many of these scientists. And when you visit their house, you go in the library, and this is filled with books on UFOs. So I went to a few parties there, and then they, they said, we're going to arrange a little dinner for you to meet somebody, and so they did. And I went, and we had Chinese food catered in. This gentleman was a command sergeant major. Uh, I know you're talking about, we agree and disagree. I've talked to bosses way, way up the line from him. Uh, when I was at Harvard, in fact, in my working group, the, the deputy military commander was in my group. I went and addressed him, and he says, no. This command sergeant major is an African-American. He's a tough guy. Uh, hated Clinton. Voted for Bush. Uh, he had extensive background going all the way back to Vietnam. He worked with Trudeau and others. And we had a nice chat. And then we got down to the reason we were to get together. And it didn't last very long. And he confirmed that, yes, the EP presence is certainly real. He confirmed that Roswell was a crash, crashed ET vehicle. And at the very end of the conversation, he said, and I'll tell you something you probably don't know. I said, well, what is that? He said, do you, where do you think the real the center of the interaction or the, the center of this issue is in the United States, the ET issue? And this is somewhat vague. I, I can't be specific, more specific than that. I said, you know, some people might say Area 51, whatever, some things. He said, no, the center of this activity is West Virginia. Okay. A friend of mine who's been working on the Hill many years and pushing this issue very hard attended a cocktail party a number of years ago where there were some high-level people. This party was, was, was regarding a space function of some kind. She went to lots of these things. And so people are having some wine and some drinks, and she sidled up to an astronaut by the name of Duke. And she asked him about the ET issue, and he told her flat out it was true. And I, I contacted him and asked him if he'd come. He, did, he had no desire to come. I have colleagues who have had people in government fairly high rank confirm it to them. It's true. We know many of the, the witnesses that turned up at the uh, disclosure project. Not, some of these witnesses were clearly shaky, but a number of them were pretty high level. And they have their own contacts, and they have been informed that it's true. And then, of course, that brings us to Dr. Edgar Mitchell. Dr. Edward Mitchell, I think, has the kind of career and the kind of uh, uh, relationships that he's able to talk to people you and I can't talk to. And he has made it quite clear that he has interacted with a number of individuals 
including the visit to the Pentagon, where he was given information and told, clearly off the record, as you know, he will not even name the names, and I think that's appropriate, that the ET issue, meaning non-human intelligence with craft visiting the Earth, is true. When Paul Hellyer became interested in the subject, on uh, seeing some things and, and, and learning about Corso, uh, the book was flawed and it's probably not the best entrance, but he's a smart man, he's capable of parsing. One of the first things he did was to call a, a friend in the United States, high level, Air Force, General. Now you may say, well, I said that, but how would he have access to like, Air Force General? Well, he was the Minister of Defense for the nation of Canada at the same time that uh, Robert McNamara was the Secretary of Defense of the United States. Uh, and he's also Deputy Prime Minister. He damn well has access to Air Force Generals, and he called up the Air Force General. And he confirmed, yes, Roswell is true. What you've heard, the basics is true, and a lot more. And so what we come down to is this, John. With all due respect to your access and uh, uh, your ability to, you know, to, to go and get information, isn't it possible that you just haven't talked to the right person yet? Or if you have, they didn't want to tell you, but they have told other people, a lot of people, and therefore, it comes down to this. Edgar Mitchell has been told it's true and you haven't. So. But to understand, and, and he mentioned this this morning, I give him great credit for this. The individual who has reportedly told him, and they may have a special personal relationship, has publicly denied even the discussion. In the uh, 13 years. Bring up 26 while we're. Let's bring up 26. <laughs> Go ahead, because this is... Uh... Oh, okay. Now, I, I didn't want to get into the thing a little bit. This is the one that uh, you had uh, uh, the individual here last year when Heather was locking. I, I found that discussion frightening. The issue that was frightening about it was his lack of, now, was he the Minister of Defense? Yeah, he was a, a, a placeholder for a few months uh, in Canada. His knowledge, which he said of uh, the entire thing, is Corso's book and uh, Peter Jennings' special. That was his knowledge. Entire knowledge, there's people in here who know a hell of a lot more about it than he did. He made some outstanding claims, one of which we heard reiterated even higher. A trillion dollars is missing, you know, in the black budget. And you go back and you look and you say, do you know what a trillion dollars means, particularly in the, we're talking about the entire U.S. budget, uh, not this year, but, uh, but at that time, the entire U.S. budget is missing. Well, we know that's not true. We know where the DOD is and, and all of this. Uh, what is frightening to me about it is that you have a senior official from another country who was actually was involved in making policy regarding the U.S. who has so little concept of how the U.S. works. Is there you know, black budgets in that? Absolutely. 
If you think there's no oversight, and, and this is one of the problems, I think this stuff goes into some mythical air and you know people just do whatever they want. There is A, oversight, and it goes both in the executive and the legislative branch, and there is intense internal competition. I mean, within, within black budgets, believe me, they find it particularly for the last decade or so as our budgets have been on steady decline. So the fighting over this budget and the real world issues just eat you up. I mean, that's why we, we talked about this, there's no black organizations do. Um, sorry, but one of the things that's happened, uh, particularly out of Iraq and uh, Afghanistan, is we have used and abused the military. We called up every reserve force that we have, uh, many of them multiple times in there. There ain't nobody left to do all of these mythical things that uh, you want to allude to. I, your points about how you're are, are, are valid. The, 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 Paul, knowledge of the subject limit, and when he got galvanized to get involved uh, and did so, he. I think he made some statements which are not supportable. Uh, though I think, but the essence of what he was saying, I think, was purely valid. But uh, I, I think he made some statements. And I actually mentioned a couple of things to him where he got it wrong. Uh, so in a sense, he, I, I guess we could accuse him of being a bit overzealous. But he was under a lot of pressure to come out and address the issue. And when you, when you come forward like that, people come at you. and. They just assume you're an expert. And so it would have been better if Paul had been a little more thoughtful. It's also 82 years old. It's oh, very, very sharp. But, but, but I'm, 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 I'm getting my point. So I'll disagree. Paul went a little overboard. But that's not why I brought up Paul Hillier. Whatever lack of information he has about the overall UFO issue that would lead to the obvious statement, the man is extremely sharp and more than capable of knowing whether an Air Force general is confirming to him if there's an ET presence or not. And so if I call up an Air Force general, he says, yes, uh, Paul, that's true, and a lot more. That's pretty straightforward. And so either that happened or it didn't. Now, but the difference that, is, and I had him, but the, the picture on there was a later conference when she and I went head to head. And I met him privately, and I said, who's your source? He said, you didn't name your source. I said, yes, I did. He says, well, you know, Oklahoma, you know, how, how did you get to be a colonel if, if you question a, a minister? Didn't he tell question? you that he agreed not to, not to give that name out, that the fellow told him that, didn't want to name your name? Like I say, when, when they're ready to come up, we'll go nose to nose, but like I say, come and lay the cards on the table. Because I told him who I had contacted, and yes, it, like I said, it was across the board. All services and the group that I put together had representatives of uh, all of the services, and we had been at the three and four star level and in the appropriate agencies uh, within those services. All right, now we're getting to an area that's been sensitive for me. We agreed that we did not get emotional. I never get emotional. <laughs> not since last night. But this gets us into an area that is deeply troubling for me. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking, because I want to do this right. I'm going to, I'm going to discuss the dichotomy for a moment. Whether the theory about 
origins are correct or not, it is in fact true that years ago, going back many, many years, outrageous stories would appear in tabloids, particularly the National Enquirer, and certainly the Weekly World News. All kinds of wild stuff, just insane kind of stuff, right? And any reasonable people would dismiss, perfectly understandable. This is the low end, right, the low end. So somebody reads in the Weekly World News that Clinton <coughs> Uh, had lunch with an extraterrestrial, most of us would say, no, of course you would. The low end. Now, as it happens, the, the, the person who created the inquiry was a former CIA agent. And that person then went on to create the Weekly World News. So, this is an intimation about, how would you say, the creation, and I believe it's true, of ridiculousness about the issue with a government origin government has exercised this, this prerogative to create and put out that kind of information. Certainly there's hints of that happening, but whether the government was involved or not, it did happen. Now let's go from down here, let's go from the weekly world news, and let's go all the way up to the moon. Now, when you have a man who gets a PhD in astrophysics, aeronautics from MIT, and is so capable as a test pilot that he is selected amongst many to be the creme of the creme and be the, an astronaut. And is so capable as an astronaut that is selected to be one to go on a moon mission. And is so capable that they're selected to be the one to leave the craft and walk on the moon. If you have served as a captain, in my service or country. I'll get to the point. No, I'm going to get to that. Let me finish this, John. I realize I'm believing Ask him what he said firsthand, because he said stated. No, no, no. This isn't about that. This isn't about that. I'm going to something else. I realize what you're saying. But I'm going to something else, and I'm going to hit it pretty hard. And you look at the career of Edgar Mitchell. If Edgar Mitchell says that an individual told him something, And then that individual later says, no, I didn't. I'm going to tell you flat out, the second individual is lying through his teeth, and Edgar Mitchell was telling the truth. I'll put my money on that, and I will collect that bet. And the point I'm trying to make is this issue has put lots of people, including yourself, constantly in a position uh, where we have to call the highest level people that have served this country liars in order to keep this truth embargo going. And that burns my butt. Let me address that because it's almost as if the person you talked to, he is talking about a person who was the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, one of the three major, uh, or four major intelligence department 12 in the community. I find it impossible to believe that if this were true, the individual, to, to have him come back and say, I cannot get briefed, is totally illogical. Let me tell you why. The rationale is, and I've, I've heard this, it's an interesting argument from even the proponents who say crash, yes, take it as a singular event 
that could never happen again. Okay? Now here's the problem. When you read the literature and you hear about crashes and this incident and that incident, you hear about these quick response teams and one of the things we look for is where's the network? If the information comes in, how does it get to you know the agency that does as I said, the, the director that I talked to at, at a later time of the same agency said, we have no collection requirement, which was told to me you know, by the same, by every other intelligence agency. If a crash occurs, if an inc a major incident occurs, in order to get it into the system, you've got to have somebody who's looking for it. These are the people who control all of the intelligence that comes in from what we call our national assets. And they say, we can't get briefed? It, I mean, it defies logic. The emperor has no clothes. John, look, it's really very simple. I, look, your deductive uh, uh, deduction there is perfectly reasonable and it may be quite valid, but what is the point? Are you there, therefore saying that, that, that Edgar Mitchell was not told that? Or the we cannot Neither of us were there. So okay. he and, and the admiral will have to say what was told. Don't know. But let me give you another incident that I think you're familiar with. Uh, this had to do with Bobby Inman. Yeah, an individual calls Bobby Inman and talks about a UFO, blah, 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 blah. And then they finally contact Bob, and Bobby says, oh, well, we had a collection, we had this and we had that. A lot of the times, the question, you know, what question was asked or what question was perceived by the person answering the question. In that case, he said, I thought you were talking about Glomar Explorer. And yes, we did have a huge secret program. Uh, some of you have seen now special on it. It had to do with a Russian submarine that went down. Uh, we had a huge program that went out and actually captured uh, the Russian uh, missiles and brought them up. We had a burial at sea of the Russian crew. Uh, and then Bobby thought he was talking about that, and yet this gets translated sure. to, you know, it happens all the time. It, you it, got, it, people unless are, you're there, you don't know. understanding exactly what question was being answered, what the thoughts were. All right, and, and, but and that's why mine have been unambiguous. And, and I think we can both agree that you weren't there when Hillier spoke with the Air Force General. Are you saying, when you asked Hillier, will you reveal the source and he didn't, you seem to be somewhat nonplussed that he wouldn't tell you the source. Are you implying that Hillier was lying about that conversation with the Air Force General? No. Okay. Well, I don't know what, I have no idea what, have done. what I can say is the information that he described. Uh, didn't make sense to you? It does, well, not okay. only it doesn't make sense, it went beyond not making sense. Okay. Just not even logical. All right. Uh, now there are, there have been a number of incidents. There have been a number of things that have happened where this is this has come up, and I don't want to get too much into this because you say we're sort of arguing minutia at some point. By the way, what is our time situation, gentlemen? How far are we into this? Twenty-five minutes. Okay. And, and and I'm really bringing these up not to quote uh, within uh, anyone, but rather to sort of demonstrate the kind of churning that's going on. And and and, uh, and 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 describe what we're dealing with. This is a famous incident that occurred, in which a meeting was set up, and this a, a, a dinner was held, so that Stephen Greer 
and CI Director Woolsey would be in the same thing by the same time. The meeting was set up by John Peterson. I've seen the email, copies of the email that were exchanged in the setting up of this meeting. And at that, quote, I say dinner where you meeting took place. And at that dinner, there was a long discussion that went on between Greer and Wolsey. That's understood. No one debates that. And I believe, and I believe others were, the wives were also there listening. Greer eventually, you know, Greer's understanding was that that meeting was set up so this would take place. He referred to it as a briefing, which is a bit of a stretch. It's a briefing if you think it is, and it isn't if you don't. The point is that it did take place. He, he talked about that oh, several times, but it never really went anywhere. But eventually, after a number of years, even though it was out, you know, I think he mentioned it on Bell, it was out in a sort of off-to-the-side kind of thing, but eventually he wrote a book, Contact in which he put this meeting and, and described it specifically in the book, meaning in writing out there. And that creates a different situation. At that point, Woolsey responded. And he denied that this was special, that it was set up for that. He denied it was a briefing. He dismissed it as being as irrelevant. And John Peterson backed him and said, yes. Well, I've, seen three the, I've seen the emails that were exchanged and that they are, how would you say, not concordant with John Peterson's response. Now, I can perfectly understand why Woolsey, who was very, still a significant figure involved in multiple projects and frequently brought on television to comment on a number of things, would not want to be associated with the UFO issue. It's very possible that some understanding was made that night that it wouldn't be discussed publicly. This happens all the time, you know. I can talk to you with Dr. Reverend. And that Greer violated eventually that understanding. But let me be clear here. I do not believe Wolsey, and I do not believe Pearson. I believe Greer. I, I believe John uh, Wolsey. He believes John Wolsey. Right. So you Possibly. see, so, so the effect of, quote, the embargo of, of, of information, the effect of playing games, the effect of disinformation, the effect of ghettoizing the issue or you can't be associated with it, puts people where they have to deny or not deny and take sides and splits things up. And we're not talking about just regular people, we're talking about high-level people, right? And so it gets kind of ugly in my sense. Now I want to change the subject. I want to go in a different direction, John. You, and I, I was, I attended a, 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 a Laughlin IUFO conference a couple years ago, and you came down to speak at that time once you spoke at. And you gave um, a, a presentation very similar to the one that you have referred to, right? But you prefaced that presentation, your kind of standard presentation, pre presentation with some remarks. And the sense I got, it could be wrong, is that you kind of come down to speak because you wanted to not just to give your presentation, but you wanted to get those, those preface remarks out there. And I got called that morning, let's put it in perspective, I got called that morning and lost a speaker and said, and said, live in Las Vegas, gotta come back. So, so they there called was you. A, you didn't call grab them. Grab something and run. But they called you, you didn't call them. 
Because hmm? I, I didn't know. You didn't call them and set up that company? No, no, they called you. No, no, they called me and said we lost a speaker. No problem. A uh, guy that they know, Michael Hesselman, was uh, working enough. with them. And you came down and you spoke. And here, and I, I'm going to paraphrase the remarks that you made. Please, please uh, clarify any, any mis mistakes that I missed. But the essence was that you wanted to get something off your chest. No. Okay, if it wasn't that, then you simply said that it, I need to tell you, I want to tell you that an effort had been underway, primarily coming out of the National Institute of Discovery Sciences, out of NIST, that you were directly involved in and or led or initiated, whatever, to try to get something going in Congress. Right? And that discussions had been held, private discussions obviously, that might lead to a hearing or two. Uh, I don't know if it was secret hearing, maybe behind the scenes hearing, but something. No, no, you've got apples and oranges. I did mention that uh, last year here. Uh, that was not, I don't know if it was even underway, but I would not have, definitely would not have mentioned it at that time. Now, John, I we, we were here. I was, I was there. I was there and I remember vividly, I then took notes. This was approximately three years ago, uh, and it was at Laughlin. Absolutely positive it happened. Because I actually, I've actually thought about it extensively. Oh, we're talking but, about time longer. But in any event, the, the point you were making was, is that this, this attempt was underway to, quote, engage Congress, all secret. And then it blew up. And the reason that it blew up was that Greer absolutely. came forward with his efforts, with the disclosure project, to have the big press conference at the National Press Club, right. and just put it out there. And it spooked the guys in Congress, who then said, you got to drop it. And you were pretty emotional about it. You're basically saying, he just screwed the whole darn thing up. They did screw it up, yes. OK. Here's my problem. Um, I was in Washington back in 1972. And this was the, uh, the election, 72. And I remember it well, selection of a second term run of uh, Dick Nixon. And I remember how he made as a key aspect of his campaign, and this was a tough campaign. This was a, well, it was a tough campaign. This was a tough time. But one of, the, one of the things that Nixon made part of his campaign was his secret plan to end the war. I've got a secret plan to end the war, so re-elect me. Well, it turns out that his secret plan was to stay in Vietnam until the Viet Cong invaded Saigon and then run for the helicopters. And that whole period, leading up to that moment, was a classic, classic historical fiasco, which had done enormous damage to America. I believe, now tell me if I'm wrong, but essentially what you were saying was the guys at NIDS had a secret plan to end the secrecy and that the efforts by Greer to do things out in the open screwed up the secret plan. Isn't that it? It, it was not NEDS. The individuals had come to us, we were working it. Uh, I wrote the charter, <coughs> wrote the background uh, documents. I had asked the individual uh, who came in initially, and I said, can you take a 20-point hit in the polls? And his answer was yes. Mm -hmm. okay. It happened to be somebody who is in a, uh, in a district that's very heavy one way or another, and he had a substantial margin, and he could risk 20 points. 
that this is not a voting issue. This is, again, we mentioned earlier, this is a strong sure. uh, negative Comment. issue. We bring up 28 while we're talking about that. Does it hit your election? Slide 28. See, he has his PowerPoint. So it's an equal. Uh, 28 is the president, what I call the presidential paradox. That, uh, that, uh, that was one of two phenomenally close uh, elections. Well, uh, that slide's coming up. I mean, uh, here. Is it up? Can't find it? His machine. Let me, let me Well, the point is we've had two phenomenally close elections. And as you know, I put out an email before the last election. They said, if this R is real, if we've done the re-entry vehicle, it will be announced before the election. Because I firmly believe that when you're competing for the office, it's the most powerful position in the world. They would sell their mother in order to win an election. And yet, this secret is, is so special that they won't use it. And you don't have to change. I mean, the, the example here that's on the slide, you see, this will, these elections, both of them happen, the one with Greer and... Uh, uh, but, but, but let's, yeah, but let's go. It would have been used to throw an election, and it would have been used in the last one. And you don't have to, I'm not talking flipping 50 percent of people. Mm -hmm. If you just move three, four, five percent, it's going to be enough to do so it. It saying, would have been exposed. Are you saying that, like, if 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 somebody, if, if one of the parties could slam the other party with the UFO issue? It's called the October surprise. And this is a quintessential October okay. surprise. So, in other words, they, the, the nature of this subject is so so hot, so reactive. You could slam the other party, go to that issue, and win votes and win elections, and they wouldn't hesitate to do it. Remember, we scare people all the time. You don't change horses, we have a war on, or things like that. Well, then, and so if we can scare people and say, whoops, ET is out there, my God, we got to do it. But so we are the ones who understand this, okay. would have been you. I kind of agree with you on that. But that raises an interesting question i got to ask you. I'm pretty, I know, as I recall, the former chief of staff, of Bill Clinton, former key advisor to Bill Clinton, in 2002-2003, the first term of the Republicans after beating the Democrats, came to the National Press Club, where we're going to be on Monday, and called for the release of all UFO documents to the American people because it was the right thing to do and it was the law. Now wait, let me finish. And he did it again in 2003. Everyone knew he was a major player, of course, in the Democratic Party and close to the Clintons, and, and he, he established right around that time the, the left of center, progressive American, Center for American Progress. And of course, he went on to be the, the, uh, the uh, head of the transition team for the Obama administration. He's outed on the issue since 2002. He's all over YouTube and the internet. And yet the Republican Party has never made any attempt whatsoever to use that against the Democrats, slam the Democrats, no, and use the Obama. Augusta was not player. How about Bill Richardson? He ran for president. Yes, he sir. writes in the Roswell Dick Diaries, the Roswell explanation didn't hold up and they no, never attacked him on that. He got eliminated in the primaries. Uh, Podesta was not a key player. You did not hear him in any context uh, in the preparation for the election. 
Hillary Clinton is connected to the Rockefeller Initiative through documents we have in our hands and are posted. It's all over the net. There's a, there's a website called HillaryClinton.UFO. She was the number one contender. The Republicans never raised the UFO issue. In fact, everyone... It's an issue. It's an issue. Not a voting but issue. you just said earlier that if you could go no. after the other party... If Hillary Clinton showed up and said, I'm running on the UFO ticket, even if that's a piece of it, believe me, uh, it would have been used. If Obama had said, I am running on the thing, I'm going to disclose this, it would have been used. And it would you know, have been used very negatively. I don't recall Obama. It's not a voting issue. I don't recall Obama saying, well, I'm running on the Reverend Wright platform here, and that's what it's all about. Uh, yeah. Reverend Wright just happened to say something, and they beat him over the head with it for about a month. Huge difference. Huge did. difference, because here is somebody who has direct supposedly direct influence on his upcoming upbringing and beliefs and, and all of that. Uh, oh, he's strongly negative. Again, but this is for the voting public. Remember, one of my key points last year is the public is interested. You know? But public interest and what's voting issue, what's key and the extent of interest is very, very different. It's a whole home issue in terms of voting public. Do you agree that if, what, you know, you talk about an issue, let's talk about war. So if you have a, a war going on, obviously it's not unusual that the public have a pretty strong opinion about that. It's a voting issue, isn't it? So uh, I, I'm voting for so-and-so because I, I, I think the Iraq war was a good idea, or I'm voting for so-and-so because I think the Iraq war is a bad idea. So naturally, yeah. Uh, it, it, that's a voting issue. You know, to the extent that the UFO question is not a voting issue, I think is a result of the fact that the United States government has denied that there's any UFO uh, ETs behind it for 60 years. And that's roughly the equivalent of the United States government saying, you know, there's no war in Iraq, what's your problem? I, I oppose the war in Iraq. The government says there's no war going on there. Yeah, but I, I know my neighbor's kids went over there. Uh, you got a photo of them over there? Well, it's a fake. Uh, there's no war. There's nothing going on. Yeah, but well, that's a good point. Yeah, that is actually a good point because I uh, I do still work for the military, and we hear constantly the United States is at war, particularly under the last minute. Well, that's war terror. Yeah, that's BS. The United States is not at war. Uh, some of us are here who grew up in World War II. At four that's or five war. years old, I knew we were at war. Mm -hmm. 40% of the GDP was at war. The American army, is, uh, or the American military, is at war. Uh, what do you need? Got to change battery? Oh, give me, yeah, we, 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 uh, give, give me your flash drive. I arranged for your presentation to be trashed, John. <laughs> I trashed your presentation, John. I, 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 I did the same thing that you this morning. Yeah, you knocked him. You, you hit him. You ordered up a, super, a hypersonic laser diddly from space. Yeah. But, but the point is, yeah. if you hear this rhetoric about the America is at war, the reality is the American military is at war, the intelligence community, small segments. If you have a, you know, friends, uh, children, loved ones, neighbors, they may be at war, but America is at the mall. Do you, did you, not did you, you, the keyest issue, and, and that's a very finally that somebody's at night. God, look what that's costing. Sure. I mean, the issue there is economics as opposed to religion. You opposed the Iraq war, didn't you? I believe you did. Uh, I think it was a horrible mistake. Okay. 
you know, our, you know, in fact, John's politics is a little more left of center than you might think. Um, but it, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree that, that, that if the scenario that we understand, that the idea of the weapons of mass destruction being there, that there was a mis, literally a misperception, not misperception, uh, there, was a, there was a clear uh, mistelling of the reality of that situation, that that's an incredibly grievous that's, that governmental... Is, uh, uh, that's, that's terribly complex. I mean, the most generous issue says misread the intelligence. Right. That's the most generous. But given, you know, the thousands of guys that have died, and men and women that have died, and the cost of all this, that the misrepresentation of fact, when you're talking about the big stuff, Let's, it's just about the worst thing a government can let's, do. Let's differentiate between uh, misrepresentation and misinterpretation. I understand. A, mis, a misinterpretation, a mistake, fine, they happen. But I'm, I'm saying a true misrepresentation of fact, meaning I know there's no weapons there, but I'm going to war, and so I'm telling the people. That's about as bad as it gets in terms of malfeasance. That but, but people didn't. And people inside, the, there were people inside the intelligence. I had a, a friend. Uh, from Los Alamos, who was in Iraq right. for the war, and came back and said, it ain't there. And there were people saying, you know, and that so, program does not exist. And, and they got overrode, you know, just, you understand and, how these systems work. But you understand, for your system to be, you know, position to be propagated, means there has to be a large numbers of they who have this information who are consciously withholding it. Necessarily. And that's necessarily. Necessarily. When 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 Colonel Haynes, I think I got the right. When Colonel Haynes stepped out on the podium back in nineteen I think it was ninety seven, it could have been ninety five. For the remarkable press conference given by the yeah. United States Air Force. Roswell. On Roswell. And when he stepped out there and started to provide the mogul explanation, right, as well as the crash dummy explanation. I doubt if he knew one way or the other what was true or not. He was a spokesperson. He was walking out there to tell people what he'd been told to say by people who were told what to tell him to say. No, 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 let's, let's understand. We've been, been through this. It's like the Condon report was right. It was last year. Yes, Condon was right. The question to Condon was not, are there UFOs? The question was, is this a threat? The Air Force wanted this to go away. Sure. They did not want to commit resources. We're talking, at the fundamental level, you're talking resources. Sure. And competition for resources. They wanted it to go away. The easiest answer is to say, no threat. We are the de Department of Defense. We're the, not the Department of Things that fly around. In fact, there's other people responsible for that. But I'm making it. They have actually ignored. I'll take it a step farther, though. Where it gets worse, in my view, is that we have had repeated very strong cases. You heard uh, uh, Milton Torres uh, yesterday talk about that. That's one case among many. You know about Deckwaters and uh, what happened in the Northern Tier site and that, where we have had interactions with our defense system, some of them in the strategic triad. And the bottom line is, eh. and I've talked to the people who were involved, and they study it, and they say, what the hell, we can't figure it out. Uh, we'll wait until it happens again. And usually the things that happen again are something different. But the bottom line, the golden rule.
I'm still making a, a more complex point, namely that the government is large and that you can have pockets of individuals that have extremely tight information about something you know exactly what's going on and then they tell somebody else a misrepresentation of that and that creates a slight skewing of that and somebody else comes out and gives a press conference and the total information is totally bogus. This idea that the government is large and therefore there must be a whole lot of people that really know what this core knows and therefore it must come out. I disagree. I think that the, the information is confined within a couple of tight groups and everybody else is in a, a, a outer circles and the less and less and this information mixes it all up and the net result is there's no unified knowledge base and there's no unified exposition, which of course is confusing and wasteful and nonsensical. And I believe that became a model for how government should operate, which is nobody knows what the hell's going on, the people aren't told what's going on, and you got guys like Colonel Haynes, who was a fine officer serving his country, walking on the stage, uttering absolute lies and nonsense, because he didn't know better, making a fool and a liar out of him. And I just don't like the way things are going. We're making liars, or calling liars, of our Air Force people, and our astronauts, and our high-end people. You don't know, or you, you, you should know. All of this stems back to the fact that, and I think we can agree on this, that for some reason, which is still inexplicable, I mean, I know why they might have covered up the ET presence in 47, given what they were facing, but for some other inexplicable reason, they have created this 62-year-old labyrinthine uh, phantasmorgia of mis- understanding that is bizarre and ridiculous. The problem that I have with this is that they tend to, uh, I use the word ergofusion, I haven't enough time to go into all that. Mr. Ergofusion? Yeah, the word I got published in the linguistics. Sounds like an exercise device, you get it to What it means is the misidentification of causal relationships. And the point here is, and I think what you're making up, there is a difference, in my view, uh, between incompetence, lack of knowledge, and cover-up. An awful lot of it, I mean, it's, it's interesting because in this area alone, we believe that the government is omniscient. Mm -hmm. And yet in our daily lives and everything else that goes on, you see them screwing up everything else. How is it that they get so good in this one little tiny area and screw up everything else? I think the government gets a lot of things right. I think they're capable of putting intellectual and financial resources together and accomplishing amazing things, and we know that they have. But let's look at the model. I think we're down to our last couple of minutes, too. If, if you have a core group of individuals that have the basic information about something, and you withhold that from everyone else, as you move away from that core, the quality of understanding diminishes. So essentially, the truth embargo affects everybody. Everybody in government is a victim of it. They don't know what's going on. They don't have partial information. The misinformation, if it occurs, it also impacts the people in government. So yeah, uh, as you get above the other layers over this core group of knowledge, this core portion of knowledge, yeah, it gets to be a mess. And so when you look at the government as a whole, you see a mess. And so one can conclude, well, if it's a mess, that, there can't be any fundamental truth there. But in fact, they have created the mess deliberately because that makes it, you can't penetrate it, you can't get down to the fundamentals. But they're using the entire government in a sense to create this kind of chaff 
so that we can't get the proper radar return. That's a misuse of government and resources in an extraordinary way, isn't it? Um, I like I say, I just don't think it, uh, that you're going to find the EPUP. There is something I would like to throw out that I'm, I'm going to raise a flag that's very, very different. When I have seven plays, um, uh, I, I, I've been concerned. Uh, I know that there's a thing underway we heard today. We want POTUS to agree that Obama is going to wave a magic wand and all this information is going to come flowing out and uh, all of that. We got it, if not, I can talk it through it, but the slides are better. Yeah. The one with Roosevelt and Obama. Yeah, what I did there is I took, uh, I think there's a misperception uh, on how the system works. And last time I talked about microsystems and the government and, and all of that. During World War, before World War II, in the early part, when we wanted to develop a nuclear weapon, now, everybody knows that there was a letter that was sent by Einstein to Roosevelt and that promulgated uh, the Manhattan Project. Partially true. The point here is there was another step. You had uh, years and years of science, Einstein and a lot of other scientists sending a letter to the President of the United States saying we ought to do this. Did he say yes? Not at all. What he said is, let's form a committee and review the technology, and from that, we'll decide whether or not to go forward. And then, uh, as we know, they did go forward, and the Manhattan Project uh, came about. Now we've got this project, and we say that what you want to do is, you know, I don't know who your Einstein is, I guess it's Greer or Nobel, are going to pop up and go tell the president who is going to, what are you going to do? You know, it's even, I think, a misperception of what happened with uh, Rockefeller. Uh, you know, here's high-level people. What you say to them is, that's interesting, get back to me, I'll study it. So what they're going to do is they're going to study it. Who's going to study it? You know, I think that's really uh, a key issue. Um, can we slip quickly to 40? Study was done. And this is one of the major problems uh, of how scientists and the, the world view the, uh, are on such different tracks in, in this area. Uh, the one on the left is the general population of what they believe on science, or people who believe in science phenomena. The next one are all college professors. And you see quite a few college professors at least agree to that. Uh, AAAS is the American Association of Aeronautics and Astronautics. You got a fair percentage there. The next batch, NAS, is the National Academy of Sciences. And they're down at about 4% even believe. I've worked with these people. I've sat on, uh, on boards with them and had individual talks with them. The people that are going to evaluate this technology, if you will, to review it, come from that group. Strong non-believers. My point here is, be careful what you ask for. You know, and I, I have another slide we could go through. I'll take you through it separately on, you know, what the flow chart would be when it falls out. I think what you'll get, A, probably nothing. B, if you're, if you're most successful and you get through, what you get is Condon 2. You will get a report that looks like Condon and set us back another 50 years. I'm going to... 
I'm going to say that could happen. But I'm going to tell you, if they try that again, given the power of the net, and YouTube, and cable news, and the multi-tiered media, and the, and the, and the computer savvy of, of people out there, particularly the young people, I think they're going to take that second continent port and they're going to shred it down to the molecules and it's going to be thrown in the trash and it's going to blow up in your face in about a week and a half. Let me have 41. 41. This is the public excitement. Okay? That's, that's the Washington Mall 20 January. What you don't see, by the way, is there were 55 million people who voted no. You know? But this is the public excitement. Uh, this is the public in the UFO arena. Point is, this is not, as I said, public interested, tell me about it, you know, meet little studies, okay. But tomorrow, you know, like my wife said, does this mean I don't have to go to work? All right, I'm gonna, well, I think we'll close with this. I'm, I'm gonna respond to that point, and I'll give John the last word, because he wanted the last word. Because I think he's brought up a very key point. This is, to me, the most serious concern that I think we need to address, right? He's absolutely right that a nation moves forward or moves in, in, in various directions based upon public interest, public desire. And so when the public is motivated sufficiently, it can exert substantial force on the state to take action. We know that eventually by the late 50s that there was sufficient public demand and concern regarding the question of equality and civil rights that they took to the streets, they started organizations and protests, and they really put a great deal of pressure on the government, and we got laws that started creating a proper multicultural society with equitable laws. And we've seen the public do this again in Vietnam. Eventually, not initially, but eventually the Vietnam War became so abhorrent, so many, that they took to the streets by the hundreds of thousands. Because they generally knew what was going on. They knew about the war, it was being reported. They had not only information, but enough to form a pretty good opinion. And so they took to the streets. All appropriate. Doesn't mean that they got what they wanted, but they certainly, it was a voting issue for them. But what happens when the government, which has built vast secret complexes, huge intelligence agencies, and classified schema and programs with vast black budgets, is able to create and put in under the secrecy blanket so much stuff? What happens when the issues that you're supposed to get worked up about, you don't even know about? Mr. Rumsfeld's unknown unknown. How do you go to the street about something you don't even know exists that doesn't exist? So when you get in the area of secrecy, you take away from the public its ability to decide whether it's going to go in the street or not. And so you create non-voting issues by intent, not by public consensus. The public is not deciding what's voting or non-voting. The government is, because it decides what you even know. And so the day we get to the point when what we decide to do and when we go to the street is only based upon what the government lets us know, this republic is done. All right? Are you a and that's the essence of this issue. Yes? What's going on in the entertainment community? This is out there. 
and the fact is widely believed. Look, there is a vast number of people, in fact, I think the majority of people who believe would yeah. support the conspiracy. No, 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 no. But the people didn't go to the streets in the 50s over the civil rights issue because segregation was happening in the movies, John, it was because it was happening in the streets of America. Right. And the reason that they're... But, but you just said they don't know. I'm sorry, they do know. And as, as we know from polls, that most people would agree with their position. Again, this thing about knowing, you know, it's funny. Yeah, you're right. Uh, there are a lot of things out there you can, you can kind of learn about. And there are a lot of people out there who believe that what government does doesn't matter. In other words, look, if I know something is true, it doesn't matter what the government says about it. Right? So it's like saying, look, I know that, uh, I know that, uh, 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 that going to, I, I know that going to, to war is a bad thing in Iraq. I don't think we should do that. Okay, fine. You have an opinion. You know about Iraq. Great. So what the government doesn't, what does about it is not important. It's what I know. It's what I think is important. Except when the government decides to do it, they send your sons and daughters over there. They don't, they don't say, would you like to go? They send them over there. They have the power of the purse, so they take your dollars and they spend it over there. And they affect your life in a thousand ways. And so you know, whether you know about Iraq or don't know about Iraq doesn't mean a hell of a lot. It's what the government does about Iraq. And so what you know about the UFOs is important to a degree, but what the government does about them really does matter. And we can never get to the point where we're at this, you know, what the government does doesn't matter. Believe me, it matters hugely. The government didn't regulate the derivative industry, folks, and now watch your pensions disappear. It did not properly regulate the mortgage industry, and now people are watching their homes disappear. Plenty of people knew about those things. Government does matter. And so I believe what government does on the open matter is incredibly important. you have the last word. Are we, can I have the last slide then? Last slide, last slide, last word. What, what's going on here? What, I'm sorry. Uh, what are you all doing here? It's great that you came. I'm glad you're here. What's going on? What, Jim? Ah, okay, good. good. Well, I, uh, whatever happened was great. I'm glad you came. And uh, maybe uh, whatever happened might happen again sometime. Because I missed the first shot. And, and, you know, obviously it got a little slow at times and what have you. But I think you can see how interesting this could get. Because we haven't even scratched the surface. So maybe John and I will do this again. Thanks for coming.